0: This morning, as uh, we come to the time of sharing the Word, I want to uh, just kind of extend our message from last week on core values and share with you this morning the mission and vision of the Alliance Bible Church here in McHenry. And as we talk about that, uh, it comes on the heels, for those of you that have not been a participant in the whole time, it comes on the heels of a seven-part study of the different ways that the church is described in the New Testament. And every Bible-believing, Christ-honoring church wants to be a New Testament church. It's just that we all have a little different idea (laughs) of what that looks like. But that's the goal of every true follower of Jesus Christ in the local assembly, is to be a New Testament church. And so we were looking at the various ways the New Testament describes the church. The church is a body. The church is a flock. The church is a temple. The church is a bride and, and those kinds of things. Last week, we looked at the core values of our local congregation. What things we cherish and hold particularly dear in our own heart. And this morning, I want to talk about the things we do and the kind of church we envision ourselves being if you look at mission and vision uh, as together, they happen to be on the back of your study guide, um, that little box on the back, God's vision and mission for the Alliance Bible Church. That is the statement that your leadership team and others after uh, really years of distillation and, and uh, working through it and developing it have come to see as being the mission and vision. And if I want to define those two terms... Vision is what we see ourselves being. And if we look down the road and say, okay, in the future, this is what we're going to look like. That would be our vision. How are we going to get there and what are we going to be occupying our time doing in that process of becoming that kind of a church is our mission. The kinds of activities we engage in. And one of those activities, uh, if you have the study guide this morning, you can follow along. If not, you can listen or someone can hand one uh, to you. Maybe, Ron, you could uh, if someone doesn't have a study guide, you can raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. But, in essence, one of the things we realize is that we are here to proclaim a message. It's an important message. It's a message that literally eternity hangs in the balance of. It is the conviction that there is a God in heaven who made us, that we as human beings sinned against Him and went our own way, and that He is in Jesus Christ reconciling the world back to Himself, that God's love for human beings is expressed and reflected in the good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth, the Son of God eternally, incarnate in human flesh through the Virgin Mary, came to this earth and lived a sinless life and went to the cross, the spotless Lamb of God, to die on the cross for our sin, that we might be forgiven And that in Jesus Christ, we might be restored in a right relationship with God, which results in, among many other things, eternal life. That in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Among all the other things that that people may do that that are good and worthy endeavors, all the social concerns, uh, all of the counseling concerns, all of the uh, help groups, all of the fellowship groups, of all the other things that, that any congregation, even ours, might engage in, we are convinced and convicted that the number one, most important mission of our church is to proclaim the message that Jesus Christ has come to save us and to bring us back into a relationship with God. And literally, people's eternal destiny hangs in the balance of hearing, understanding, and by faith believing that message. And so that's our, that's our number one concern. And as, as you look at the statement that we've expressed in our mission statement, proclaiming the full message of God's good news to the diverse cultures of McHenry and surrounding communities, one of the things that kind of... Uh, it, it doesn't set us apart from all other groups, but it is a distinguishing characteristic Many, many Christians are under the impression that that the whole aim of the gospel and salvation is to simply get people saved so they won't go to hell. You know? And it's interesting that John shared in his testimony that he must have prayed that sinner's prayer a thousand times because he didn't want to go to hell. You know, and, and a lot of people are under that impression. That, that we've got to get people to pray the sinner's prayer, and if they pray that prayer, they'll at least go to heaven. Without the full awareness that Jesus Christ wants us to come into a relationship with Him that involves so very much more. That He not only wants to be our Savior, but He wants to be our daily source of spiritual life and vitality that every day in Christ is an adventure walking with Him. And that He wants to take on the responsibility of producing within us the quality of a Christian life that looks like Jesus. So that our lives don't go on the way they used to. There are certain things that are changed. Friends, one of the greatest parts of the gospel message is you can come to Jesus Christ and be forgiven and cleansed and have a relationship with God and that is wonderful but the 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 other message the other part of the message is you don't have to stay the way you are you can be changed you can actually experience the power of God to break addictions to deliver you from habits and, and uh, personality quirks that are ungodly and inappropriate, to deliver you from bad temper and foul disposition, to, to put within you a genuine love for other people. He can change your life from being a self-centered person uh, living under the control and domination of your habits into someone who is literally free to live to the full in Jesus Christ, a life that is worthwhile and valuable in all of its uh, sense. So we preach a message that Jesus Christ is not only Savior, but He is the sanctifier. He is the one who sets us apart unto God and makes us, to begin to look like Himself. For God is at work in us to will and do of His good pleasure. And He's making us over into the image of Jesus Christ. And that in that process we can count on Him to give us the strength and energy to do whatever it is that God has called us to do. We are also not a helpless victim of of disease and all of those, infection and all of those other kinds of things that we can look to Jesus Christ to be the source of physical strength. Now, you say this morning, well wait a minute, I see a lot of Christians are sick. And we have sickness and we have problems like that. But I but I wanna I want to kind of take you back to the statement that Jesus Christ <coughs> is my healer. And that He will provide for me the life and strength and vitality that I need to do what he has asked me to do. I want to tell you just two stories of early people in our Christian Missionary Alliance history that kind of illustrate that. One is um, A.B. Simpson. A.B. Simpson as a young pastor had uh, come to the point, he had some things going on in his body, and he had come to the point where he could not function well. In fact, as a pastor the effort of preaching on Sunday so thoroughly drained and exhausted him of energy that he would have to go to bed until Wednesday just to recover. And then the rest of the week was spent trying to get his breath, trying to get enough energy to get to the next Sunday. And one day, as he was meditating on who Jesus is, and and, and all that Jesus wanted to do for him, he became convinced that Jesus Christ wanted to heal him because he had a great work that he wanted him to do. And he trusted Jesus Christ as his healer, and he was dramatically delivered. In fact, his healing was so profound that he went from being an emaciated, weak, and sickly person to one who was... Strengthened and energized to work average 16 hour days for the next 40 plus years of his life. It's amazing what God did in his life because there was a great work that God had called him to do, and God is able. And friends, throughout our history, we have had people give those testimonies. I remember, uh, the, I've shared this with some of you before, but I remember being at our general council, our annual meeting a few years ago and And hearing a physician stand to give a testimony and and I don't say that he was a physician like that's some wow kind of thing, but it's just that you know doctors are trained to think analytically, that they're only they're trained to be scientists, they're trained to be objective, they're trained to only say what is. And so, as a person who was trained in that mindset, he stood in front of the general counsel and talked about the progression of his prostate cancer to the point that he was uh, finally basically had to quit his practice. His doctor said, you know, you may as well just go home and try to uh, live out your days as best you can. And right at the very end of what would have been the end, um, he called for the elders of the church one more time. He had done that many times. But one more time, he said, would you come by and pray for me? He was so uh, in pain in his pelvic region, that he could not get off the sofa. And uh, the, the cancer was spread throughout his lower abdomen entirely. And they came by and prayed for him. And his testimony in front of general counsel, more than two years after this occurred, was they prayed for me that afternoon, and something happened different than ever before. And he said, I was able to get up and walk them to the door. And he said, then the strangest thing came over me. He said, this doesn't sound very spiritual, but he said, I felt like I wanted to play nine holes of golf that afternoon. And so he went and played golf. And then within the next week, he was completely restored and they could find no trace of any malignancy in his body. His whole body was completely healed. And he stood nearly two years later, in front of the national meeting of the CMA and said, God is my healer. God can do that. He's still in that business. We believe that. We also believe, however, that God can give supernatural strength and energy even when He does not lift the disease. Robert Jaffrey is an example of that whom God called to be a missionary, and he became a pioneer missionary in China, Indochina, and the Philippines. Initially, the Christian Missionary Alliance would not send him as a missionary because he had heart disease and he had diabetes. And they said, there's no way you're going to survive out there. And so, but he came from a wealthy newspaper family in, in, the, in Canada. And um, so uh, he went on his own. And then he cabled back to the Christian Missionary Alliance in New York and said, I'm in China. Uh, is there any way I can be of help to you? And so, having done that, uh, he served God for, faithfully for the next 40 plus years as a missionary in China and then in the, Indochina and ultimately into the Philippines, God working powerfully through him. He was never healed of the diabetes or the heart condition, but it never got in the way of his work. He had strength, amazing strength. And there was one time. In his biography, when he was captured by bandits and carried away for several weeks and he did not have his medication, and during that whole time, he suffered no problems. He was perfectly fine until he was returned uh, to his home and uh, started his regimen once again, because God is the sustainer. He is the savior. He is the sanctifier. He is the healer. And we believe he is coming back again to this earth. He is coming to this planet, not just for you and me, uh, but he is coming one day back to earth. He's going to put His feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to establish a kingdom on this planet. And that is the message that we proclaim, that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and King, is thoroughly sufficient and adequate for every work in our lives. We believe that the gospel message of Jesus Christ is a powerful message that offers a relationship with God on the basis of faith alone. This is a very important message for us to proclaim in a community that has a great history that that is locked in Catholicism. And I I want to say that very gingerly and carefully, but I, I still want to explain very clearly that the message of grace is that my relationship with God is not based on my performance or any work that I do. It is based by simply trusting Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. That He is the one who forgives and cleanses and frees and restores and brings me into relationship with God. It is not based on my performance, but based on His finished work. And I put all of my confidence in Him If you ask me today, and as I asked Stephanie and I asked John as they were about to be baptized, and if you ask me today, do I know if I were to die this moment that I would be in heaven? I know on the basis of this Bible, John says, These things I have written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not wonder, not hope, not question, not long for, but I have written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5.13 And when I look at those things that he has written, that I have fellowship with Jesus Christ, that he's transformed my heart and life, that there has been a miracle of new birth in me. If you ask me, if I were to drop dead this moment, is there any doubt in my mind where I would spend eternity? I would say to you, absolutely not. I know beyond the shadow of doubt that if I were to die in this moment, I would be in the presence of God. And if he were to say to me, which I don't think he's going to do, but in that hypothetical question, if he were to say to me, Paul, why should I let you into heaven to be with me? I would not tell him, I've been a faithful pastor. I've been a member of the Christian Missionary Alliance. I was baptized. I took communion. I went to church. I was a member of the church. I gave my tithe. I wouldn't say any of those things. I would say, because Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive my sin and I have trusted His finished work and that alone is my guarantee that I can stand in Your presence holy and righteous and without sin because He has done all the work. Friends, that is the message of salvation and we are so confident that it is true that we believe that every culture needs to hear it. Why can't we just let the Buddhist be Buddhist and the Hindu be Hindu and the Muslims be Muslim and whoever else be whatever else? Why can't we just do that? Don't they have valid religions? Can't they go their own way? Don't they have good ideas? No, they don't. They have believed a lie. It's not my responsibility to look down on them because of that. It's not my responsibility to judge and condemn and criticize. You have a bad religion. That's, that's not the point. It has nothing to do with religion at all. It has to do with the revelation of God. That Jesus himself said, I am the way, both the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes by me. And God loves them. And I need to share with them the message of Jesus Christ. Not in one upmanship, not out of prejudice, not out of pride, not in arrogance. But in humility and love, because unless they come to know Jesus, they don't have a chance. They need Jesus. They need to know Him. They need to come to fellowship with Him. They need to have the cleansing of their sin. Jesus said, I did not come into this world, John 3.17, to condemn the world. The world is condemned already. I came that they might have life. I came to give life. And so we are convinced in our local congregation as well as in our denomination that we have a divine mandate to carry this gospel of the kingdom to every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every nationality, every ethnicity, every race, everybody needs the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we are committed to discipling believers and living the deeper Christian life. Now, immediately as soon as you say that, somebody says, what is the deeper Christian life? What what is that deeper life stuff all about? You know, is it some different brand of Christianity? No, but again, I want to go back to the statement that many, many Christians believe that that the the whole thing about coming into faith in Christ is just, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven, I want my sins forgiven. I had a professor in college that said, I went to college in North Georgia, and uh, Six Flags Over Georgia, I think may have been one of the first locations they built, maybe not, I don't know, but anyway, that was a big popular thing back then. And you know, all the Six Flags, all the uh, over America kind of stuff, all the rides, all the carnival all the fun all the things that there is to do there he said many people in their christian life are like they buy a ticket to six flags they go to six flags they present their ticket they go through the turnstile they get inside the gate they open their camp stool and they sit down they spend the whole day seated on that camp stool, about 10 feet from the turnstile and then at the end of the day they go back and tell their friends i went to six flags well technically they did But they didn't experience anything. They didn't do anything. They had no fun. There there was no experience beyond the gate. And so many believers, that's the whole of their Christian life, They, they get the ticket. They pray that sinner's prayer. They come to faith in Jesus Christ and no one ever tells them there's a whole midway of spiritual life out there. There's a whole life waiting for you. And and they think, wow, I got in. I'm in the gate. And that's as far as it ever goes. You won't walk with Christ very long before you'll realize that without some supernatural help, living the Christian life is tough. In fact, you won't walk with Christ for very long before you realize that without some help, living the Christian life is impossible. How can you live like Christ? You know, it's wonderful to ask, what would Jesus do? Just try doing it. That's the problem. That's the rub. How can I perform? You know, how can I live like Jesus Christ? How can I uh, get a hold of my anger? How can I conquer my fears? How can I get on top of my addictions? How can I stop being so selfish and self-centered? How can I deal with these things? I can't seem to get over this stuff. And so many, so many churches and, and denominations and Christians say, all you can do is just the best you can. This is as good as it gets. You just, you just trust Jesus to get you to heaven and you just kind of tough it out day by day till you get there. But Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life. I want you to live life to the full. I want you to be free. I want you to experience transformation. How does that happen? Well, first of all, we need to come to the realization that we can't do it. We need to come to the end of ourselves. And that's why I think it's often called the deeper life or it's called the path of the cross or it's called death to self or whatever, because there's that kind of uh, uh, barreling in, homing in with a relationship with God where you get down to the nitty gritty. And if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with God, you'll come to a point where you say, you know what? As much as I love you, Lord, as much as I try, I just can't do this. And he says, I know that. I've always known that. You weren't supposed to do it. You were supposed to let me do it. You were supposed to let me live through you. Paul gave this testimony. I am crucified with Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, I live. (laughs) But not I. Christ is living in me. And the life which I now live in this body that you see... It's not me. I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up on my behalf. He goes on to say in the next verse, for I do not nullify the grace of God. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about daily life. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness came by law-keeping, Christ died needlessly. And so our message is, there is a... There is an experience in the Christian life that will transform you by supernatural power to live according to His will and purposes. And that is called the filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And every single believer needs to come to that place. Not long after I surrendered my life to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, I came to that realization that I needed some divine help. And I started hearing about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know what that meant. And I started looking into it. Now, I was raised in a denomination that told me that when I got saved, that was it. I got all there was to get. That was done. That was it. I was finished. Just tough it out. And I started looking around. And I talked to Pentecostal friends and Assembly of God friends and Charismatic friends. And I started looking for some Answers and I began to hear about the Holy Spirit. And I'd never really heard about the Holy Spirit in the church I grew up in. I was like those uh, uh, Ephesian uh, believers, or actually disciples of John. Paul said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were uh, born again, when you were saved? And they said, We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And I was kind of like that. I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. I used to call Him an it. I didn't even know what it did. And so I began to pursue and try to understand this third person of the Trinity. And that's when I came to realize that God was offering me something in Jesus Christ that I had not experienced. Now, many people think that we're talking about something added to Jesus, something added to salvation. And that's not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says very plainly, when you receive Jesus Christ, you receive all of him you're ever going to have. He doesn't come in drips and drabs. You get, you get Jesus. But the real question is he's kind of like receiving a treasure chest. You've got to open it and explore all the treasures. You get Jesus in your life, you get all of Jesus, but does he have all of you? Do you understand even what he's offering you? It usually takes a while to, to come to that understanding, that realization. And John the Baptist says, this Jesus, this Lamb of God that I'm going to point out to you, He is the one that will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus said to His disciples, you wait in Jerusalem until the promise from the Father, they had already been born again. They were born again in the upper room. But He said, don't try to do any work until the Holy Spirit has been poured out on you. Wait in that upper room until the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And if you look at Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Many times we envision the filling of the Spirit like water in a glass. You say, well, I, I have this much of the Spirit or I have this much of the Spirit. No, that's not at all what he's talking about. It has nothing to do with space occupying substance. It has to do with influence and control. And when he puts it in the context of being drunk with wine, it becomes very clear. Do not be drunk with wine wherein it's excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a relationship. When you're drunk with wine, when you're intoxicated, it doesn't mean that you've been filled up from your toes to your nose and that you don't have a liver and a heart and lungs and all that kind of stuff anymore because now it's kind of sloshing around with Jack Daniels. It doesn't mean that. It means that you that the alcohol has control of you. It's in charge. You can't walk straight because your whole cerebellar vestibular system has been short-circuited. You're in trouble. You're under the influence. He says don't be under the influence of alcohol, but in a similar way Be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Let Him fill you. Let Him control you. Let Him exert His influence in you. Let Him guide you. Let Him empower you. Let Him live through you. Wow, I came to understand that. And I wanted it. But you know what? If the Holy Spirit is going to be in control and fill and have total total reign and rule in my life, guess what? Can't have two people on the same throne. Can't have two people in charge. Can't have two people running the show. Can't have two people driving the car. My wife would like to drive the car when I'm driving it sometimes, but it just doesn't work. You can't do that. You can only have one person in control at a time. And so you must die to self control and fully yield to spirit control, to be filled with the spirit. And that's why the path of the cross leads on a journey that comes to the end of yourself when you finally say, Lord, I can't, and so I need you to take over, and I want to surrender to your fullness. And we believe with all of our hearts that we want people to know The Christian life was not meant to be a philosophy that you try to follow. It is a person, a relationship where he lives through you by his power. All the difference in the world. And we're all about preaching that message. How many of you have heard me preach that just in the last year? I say it about every way I know how. You can't do it. But He can. And when you take your hands off and invite Him to control, He will do in you and through you what you could never do in your own. We believe it takes a while for this to dawn on us. And so I've said in letter E, this message is one of our distinguishing characteristics. It specifically expresses a crisis in the spiritual life After, subsequent, after salvation, involving an experiential death to self and a full surrender, followed by the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling us completely, resulting in power for holy living and effective service. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, Wait in Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high. Because if you try to do this gospel message thing throughout the world, you are going to lose. You don't have it in you. But if you will let me do it through you, then it will be accomplished. So wait until I've poured out upon myself, upon yourself, my power from on high. Number three, we are convinced. We are convinced that every single person in the body of Jesus Christ, every believer, is designed by God to be a servant, a minister of the gospel. Now, I've said that 50, 11 times too, but I just want to come back to it this morning because we're all about this. Every single person in this room who knows Jesus Christ is called to be a minister, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, you don't have to stand up front and preach. Some of you are very relieved to know that, and you already know that. But you don't have to do that. But God has given you gifts. He's given you abilities. He's given you something. And He wants to live through you in the context of your life in this church and in this community he wants to work through you in ways that only you can do. And some of you have unique, unique privileges. You have opportunities. And God has gifted you. And you have opportunities within the family of God to serve one another. And God has gifted you. Some of you are good listeners. Some of you are insightful and you have, you have spiritual wisdom. Some of you are, are good helpers. Some of you are good leaders. Some of you are good teachers. Some of you have supernatural uh, insight and word of knowledge and word of wisdom. You have many different gifts throughout this room. Every one of them is needful in this body. Every one of them is needful. We do not believe here that you're supposed to come and listen to me, you know, the cleric. Do all the spiritual work, and, and it's okay. Okay, I come in and get my fill, and then I go out and do my thing the rest of the week without whatever. We are all ministers. We're all servants. I'm on Carrie's Devo list. <laughs> I get the little emails, text messages, whatever. You know, they come usually usually one a day, right, Carrie? Sometimes two or three or four or more, depending depending on what's happening. Thursday evening, one came, A.W. Tozer, I thought, wow, how fitting. No one can worship God in spirit and truth for long before the obligation to holy service becomes too strong to resist. If you have Jesus in your life possessing you, if, if, if you're full of him, he wants to get out of you. He wants to do something. What did he do when he was here? He went to the wedding feast. He let the children sit on His lap. He he healed the sick. He shared the Gospel, the good news. He, He did all kinds of things because He loved people and wanted them to come into a relationship with His Father. I've come to seek and save what was lost. And He wants to do that through you. If you're full of Him, He's yearning to... To work through you. And to give you fulfillment in that process. I don't know how God wants to use you. I just know that He does. And what we want to do as much as possible. And someone asked me, how are we doing this? How are we helping people find their spiritual gifts and use them? And I said, hmm, we're not doing a very good job of this. This is one of our Achilles attendance in this church it's it's a mission commitment it's a vision but it's something we're not doing very well we need to do a better job here you need to pray with us we need to find better ways to disciple people in this process but we are committed to the conviction that god has called you to serve that he wants to use you And and let me take that a step further, because when you serve in the way that God has called you, that is when you find real fulfillment in your life. That is when you find real satisfaction. And it may be in many different venues, but it is when you do that, that you will find the, the full and rich life. Jesus is working through me you know and it's not about me it's not about self it's about ministry it's about service finally we are convinced that demonstrating the unconditional love of Jesus to our community uh, through meaningful acts of service i want to i want to share s- a little background with you because when I came to this community I came here from a Bible Belt area and I came out of an area where you could knock on somebody's door anybody's door and nine out of ten of them would let you in they'd offer you iced tea and they'd want to chat in fact the biggest problem on door-to-door visitation was making any progress because everybody wanted to talk to you and uh so I came up here my first year and I thought, wow, I'll go knock on doors, you know, I'll get to the other community, i go knock on doors. So I picked an apartment complex and I started knocking on doors. Now, this wasn't an apartment complex uh, full of young party goers. This was predominantly um, retired people or single adults or whatever, uh, just trying to get through life, you know. So I thought, well, I'll go knock on their doors. And, and I knocked and one night I covered every door. 'Cause nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody wanted to talk to me. You know? I'm not interested. I go to the Catholic Church. I don't wanna I don't want what you've got. <laughs> you know? Go away. Or they wouldn't answer the door. Or whatever. Only one person that night let me in. A little old lady who was a sweet Christian starved to death for fellowship. People had not been coming to see her. And it's like, oh, there's a human being at my door that knows Jesus. I want to talk to him. And it's like, okay, I'm happy to spend some time. That wasn't my goal, but I'm happy to spend some time. I learned pretty quickly that confronting people with the Gospel message wasn't getting me very far. And I began to say, God, how can we reach this town how can we reach the community what can we do to to be able to to share and communicate jesus christ and a number of years ago i believe i was in a prayer meeting on a wednesday night and i heard just as clear as anything in response to that question serve them serve them And I knew what that means. It's kind of interesting to me that when God speaks, He has an economy of words. I usually don't hear sentences or paragraphs. I usually just hear one or two words. This one, you know, was a verb and an objective. Serve them. That's all I got. But I knew what He meant. And what I sensed was that the key to reaching people in our community is to love them and do something for them that says, we care about you. We value you. Now, I'm not talking just a pure social club. A pure, uh, you know, a social kind of commitment. I'm talking about a deliberate commitment that values the person. That loves them where they are. And wants to earn the right to speak. That they will ask us to explain the hope that is in us, rather than knocking on doors and getting rebuffed time after time. And so in the course of that, we have, through the years, done many different things. And we're still working at different things. But we believe that unbelievers are first attracted to the message of the gospel when we address their practical needs and demonstrate that we value them. Things like offering English as a second language. Things like offering something as, as mundane and secular and simple as a photography class. You know, I wanted people to come in the door and say, teach me how to use my digital SLR. Show me how to do that. Okay, I'd love to show you how to do that. Just because it's fun to do. And if you want, if you want to learn, we'll give you a free class. But I'm hoping that they would ask. What are you doing this for? Why do you care whether I learn to use my camera or not? Because we value you. We appreciate your hobby. We love your artistic bent. Did you know God gave that to you? And we'd love to tell you about Him. I mean, you've got to be careful that your motives are not mixed. You've got to be careful that your goal is to love and serve. But in the process, you can't forget that the primary reason is ultimately because they are so valuable and you want them to live eternally in the presence of God. And so it may be offering digital photography. It may be teaching English. It may be doing the backpack bash. How many of you here this morning worked in the Backpack Bash last summer? Could, could you just raise your hand for a second? Quite a few of you. Wasn't that kind of a neat experience? You know what was so neat about that is that the people that came so very much appreciated it. I'm talking about the people in the community. We put the word out that if you would show up at the Alliance Bible Church on a given time, uh, that, that there would be available free school supplies. And God put this thing together in such an amazing way. It was fun to see how the ideas kind of came together and how God led people in buying goods. Uh, Charlotte, what did we say? Close to $3,000 worth of product was purchased and given by people within the church. And then when it came time to come to the, to the come for the community who needed it to come, you know, we didn't say, okay, here's your backpack. God bless you. Have a good day. Um, you know, we said here's the tables there's crayons over here there's markers over here there's pencils over here there's notebooks over here there's backpacks over here there's this, there's that, whatever. you know you can come and buy your school supplies come to the table register we're going to give you a band of tickets and they they have you can go around to the tables and you can use your tickets. you can pick out your pencils, the ones you want. You can pick out the color notebook you like. You can get your stuff. And so the kids went around with their moms and dads and they were able to buy their school supplies without money. But with the gift of the tickets, they were able to pick and select and choose. Did you know there was no pushing? There was no shoving. There was no jealousy, no fussing or fighting over anything. And it's one of the first things that I think we've ever done where people have actually sent follow-up letters to the church. Thank you so much for that special gift in our lives. I talked to moms. I talked to one nurse at the hospital, single mom. You know, just no way she was going to be able to, to pay for all the school supplies. Have you seen the list that kids have to have these days? No way she could pay for all that. She knew that. She was so grateful that she could come. Others... You know, you could just tell we would never have been able to do this. And the kids, they were so excited because they could pick out their own stuff. It wasn't like, you're the charity case, here's a bag. They, they came and picked out what they wanted. And there were games and there were refreshments. it was like, wow. But you know, I've heard that it takes doing something like that three or four times before people begin to identify there's a church that cares about us. Friends, God gives us these opportunities. Do you remember a few years ago? You talk about laying your life on the line for Jesus and loving service. Do you remember a few years ago when those the crazy two guys were running around sniping in the Washington area and they shot I don't know how many people? Remember that? People would be uh, putting gas in their car and they'd just get shot down with a long-range sniper rifle. Paranoia, fear filled the community with good reason. I mean, who knows? And it wasn't any one place. It was all around the area. So who knew? You're pumping gas one morning and then a bullet goes through your head. That's pretty scary. There was a Christian Missionary Alliance church in the Washington area. Get this. They asked for volunteers from their membership. And you know what they did? They went to the filling stations and stood out saying, we will pump your gas if you don't want to get out of the car. And they stood there for hours, day after day, until those snipers were caught. They stood there pumping gas for people in the open. You talk about a target. Don't you suppose some of those people had to say, Why are you doing this? What is wrong with you? And they had the chance to say, because... We love you, and we know for sure where we're going if we get shot. And we'd like you to know Him too. That is practical service prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Friends, if if you're a part of this church family, we want to be about the business of serving our community, saying to them, We love you. We really love you. We value your life. We are interested in what you're interested in. We care about the things that concern you. We want to serve you. And when people say, why do you want to do that? We can say legitimately, because we love you and we know Jesus Christ and He loves you. And He wants you to have eternal life. People need supplies for their kids. People need to learn to speak English if they don't. And they're going to live here. People need practical help with other areas. But more than anything else, they really need Jesus. And this gives us an opportunity to share Him. So when we think of ourselves as a congregation, what do we see? We see a a church that is serving the community in unselfish, loving ways by everybody in the family being involved in some aspect dependent upon their gifts. Some of you love to shop. I don't know if there's a gift of shopping. Actually, I do. There's, there's not a gift of shopping. I know that. But, but it's really that service heart coming out of you, that gracious heart, and you love to just go pick stuff out and bring it. That's fine. Some of you like to interact with people. Some of you like to lay out and decorate the table. Some of you like to do whatever it is we're doing. There's some aspect of it you like to do because God has wired you that way. And we believe that every person here should be involved in that. We believe that is only accomplished when it is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're doing it on our own, we're just going to wear ourselves out. Don't you remember Paul's admonition to the Galatians? Do not become exhausted by doing good. You can wear out trying it in your own strength. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's life and vitality and energy to accomplish it purposefully because we have a message that people need to hear for salvation, for daily victory in living, for physical healing, for hope that this world has a future and we're part of it. This is our mission and our vision And I hope it's one that you embrace with all your heart. Father, as I have shared this morning, one of the things that has been clear, I think, has been the Gospel. It has been woven throughout this message. And I pray this morning that if there's anyone here who has not yet made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to turn from their sin and to embrace Him as their Savior, that You would give them faith right now to do that. And Lord, another thing that has permeated this message has been the reality that as believers we cannot live the Christian life out of our own resources. It is not possible. We can only live it in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray this morning, if there are those here who, have, who are coming to the end of themselves, they're, they're kind of coming to the end of the rope. They keep trying, they keep failing, they're frustrated. That how does this work? That today, they would stop and surrender and, and just give up trying to be good and give over their lives to the control of your Holy Spirit to fill and empower them with holiness and powerful service. Thank you, O God, that you have done it all. You just ask us to trust you moment by moment in the privilege of walking with you. Move upon us in Jesus' name. Amen.